It is the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny. He's Andy. And we've got some interesting news to, to go over. One that I, I really think hit people by surprise a little bit. I, I know that there had been some chatter about maybe some other teams making a move for Ohio State out-of-conference scheduling. And maybe Clemson was in the air. And that would have been, I think, really cathartic for Ohio State fans to be able to get over the hump against that team. But instead, kind of out of the blue a little bit, it turned out that it was Alabama. And Ohio State is going to be doing a home-and-home with Alabama, 27-28. It's it's not tomorrow. It's not around the corner. You're going to have to wait a few years to get to that. But what's your reaction, Andy? How do you feel about about another marquee opponent appearing on Ohio State's out-of-conference schedule? Inject this straight into my veins. (laughs) I I think this is exactly the kind of scheduling, not not just that Ohio State needs to be doing, but that all of college football needs to be doing. Like the days where... We have one marquee matchup a year, and then, well, it just depends on what the rest of the Big Ten looks like. It, you know, it's just not good for business. The BCS era kind of pushed people into that sort of, well, you know, winning them all is more important than playing good games. Right. Uh, and, and I think we're seeing that now. The playoff has started pushing people in that direction, and I think people now recognize as you move into a, the likelihood of an expanded playoff field in the next um playoff college football playoff contract that that it doesn't matter if you win 100% of your games if you play a really great schedule and play well against big time teams so i'm i'm hugely in favor of scheduling games like this and and man is there a bigger game the only way this could have been any bigger right now in the current environment is if they'd scheduled clemson um right. And that's just because of recency bias. But regardless, you know, one of the challenges we've seen with the scheduling they've tried to do in recent years with big name teams is that some of the big name teams that they scheduled 27 (laughs) years ago didn't end up being worth a nickel when Ohio State played them. You think about like the Miami home and home, you know, Cal should have been a, a decent one. And they ended up being kind of snoozers because those programs weren't, well, worth a nickel when Ohio State ended up playing them. Alabama, you would like to think, We'll still be pretty good ten years from now. Whenever we play this game, maybe, right? Because I don't. <laughs> I even put this on our Slack channel. I, I wanted to know what the general opinion was of Eleven Warriors. You know, all the writers and people contribute to the site. Okay, so I want to ask you the same thing that I asked in Slack, which is, what do you think is more likely? Is it going to be Day versus Saban? Is it going to be Day versus? insert you know name here for Alabama is it going to be Saban versus insert name here for Ohio State or is it going to be different guys for both teams because I I think Ryan Day is an excellent coach and you know Feinbaum was Feinbaum was talking him up uh earlier uh he has a lot of respect from his peers obviously as you know the he's a protege of Chip Kelly to me, I would not be shocked if within five or six years that dude is is going for the NFL or something like that. So, and I, you know, Nick Saban, I mean, he's not going to be in his mid seventies in coaching still. I, I don't see that. So, what do you think the matchup will actually look like? Because look, Alabama, Alabama was Nick Saban made Alabama. Alabama was garbage in the first half of the the beginning of the new millennium, and they were not. Not good. And by first half, I mean like the first five years, not till 2000, <laughs> the year 2500. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is, is that you really are a coaching hire away from either success or disaster in college football. So 
this is this is a game that was scheduled seven, eight years out. That's actually pretty close in time for a lot of these scheduling. Is that still enough to guarantee that Ohio State and Alabama are going to be good and that we're still going to see these coaches in place when they play? So to answer the first part of your question, what do I think is the most likely scenario? I think it will be Ryan Day versus someone else. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a part of me that says if Saban is still winning titles, you know, because we're talking now, all right, this is the 20. 20- 2020 21 season coming up here school year uh so we're seven years out from this home and home in theory because it's 27 and 28 Uh, that you're right that's not all that far in how we schedule college football games i mean we've got games on the ohio state schedule out to as far as what like 2035 or something ridiculous like that uh i guess it's 2030 and 2031 yeah yeah 2030 and 2031 so okay so so we're we're more than 10 years into the future in reality. Um, but, but you're right. I mean, it's you're one coaching higher away from mediocrity or just flat out being stinky. I, I tend to think, you know, that Alabama and being in the mighty SEC and the resources that they will put behind college football, that Nick Saban's successor, whomever it will be, will not be terrible. Somebody you know, whether it's uh, Kirby Smart coming back home, or, you know, I know it's too far in the future to really predict, but there was a time I would have said it was, uh, you know, Preacher Dabo Swinney coming back home. I think that's less likely today because he has nothing to gain and everything to lose by yeah, why would leave, leaving that. Clemson. Yeah, you're, you're right. at a top five unless program. Unless, unless something happens in the vein of Urban Meyer where you're, you're living yes. unwillingly or something, and then you right. take your sabbatical and you go back. But yeah, I agree um, with you. So, so I think, you know, but, but there's a part of me that says, you know, Saban's the kind of guy that could go straight up Bill Snyder. uh, And if he's still winning titles four years from now, five years from now, that he's still in the mix. I mean, he's going to be 75 years old. I think when the series kicks off, if I, if I read our colleagues reporting correctly. So, you know, 75 is the new 65. I I, I don't (laughs) know. Um, He looks like he's in from all indications. He's in good health. Yeah, it looks like he's in his forties still. The guy, yeah, right. And he, I mean, he runs on, you know, a steady diet of it ain't good enough and disrespect. So, you know, if you know the, the follow the program, um, I, I mean, I could see it. I, I wouldn't put money on it today. You know, if you said, "Hey, Andy, you got to put a a, a C note on who's going to be coaching the tide," I'd, I'd probably take the field. Yeah, but, but but I could see it happening potentially, and part of me that's like a fan of the sport hopes <laughs> that it's because beating. I still look at Nick Saban and, and Alabama as a worthy opponent. We talked about this a few episodes ago um, when we we're talking about how important that that uh, 2014 um, 85 yards through the heart of the South game was, and and I loved it because it, Alabama was they were a worthy opponent, and you you kind of respect what what Saban's built down there. Um, By the way, quick, quick side note on that. The 85 yards to the heart of the South is really a ubiquitous phrase that we say a lot and other people say a lot. Yes. And I really, really want to emphasize that as a site and specifically Jason, because that was really his, yes. his baby. He came up with that. That is that phrase, that term has been so heavily associated with that game and not just that singular play, but basically the outcome. Yes. 11 Warriors gets should deserve a little bit of credit for that. We need I think we need to toot our horn a little bit when it comes to rehashing and recounting that because that that concept that phrase and the meaning behind it I think was perfectly encapsulated by 
that you know shirt and what Jason came up with. So he he deserves a lot of credit for that. I think we deserve a lot of credit for helping popularize it as a site. Um, yeah, I, I I'm actually pretty proud of that. I, I'm and and I after that zeitgeist a little bit. And here, here's the thing I will I will add to the conversation. So by dint of the pure happenstance that I got out of bed this morning and the t-shirt on top of the drawer in which I keep my t-shirts <laughs> happened to be my 11 warriors, 85 yards through the heart of the South shirt. That's, that is what I am wearing at this moment in time. Fantastic. And this is a good moment to remind you that the 11 Dubcast is brought to you by the dry goods <laughs> store at 11 warriors, where you can buy the 85 yards through the heart of the South T along with other classic plays um king right 96y shallow swap being one of my favorites you may know it by another name but the t-shirt is cool nonetheless the brooklyn dagger all of the great plays uh some of my favorite t-shirts they wear like butter you're, you're gonna love them go yeah, go to the dry goods store and buy i actually have two um 85 yards tees i like this one so much so <laughs> well that is that's a good choice on your part um so anyway we've we've got all these out of conference games and by the way another thing if we're talking about patting people on the back, I really do believe that Ohio State, specifically Ohio State, not not necessarily even the Big Ten or anything, but Ohio State specifically deserves a lot of credit for, I think, pushing the concept of scheduling marquee out-of-conference opponents earlier in the year. And they started doing this during the BCS era um, when other teams really saw the cal- you know, the math. They were looking at the math and the scheduling going, okay, we just got to stay clean until – December and then we'll let the computers do their stuff and then hopefully we'll we'll be good enough. And I say said screw that, we're gonna roll the dice early in the season, get those numbers up, and then kind of ride it through and try to get in the BCS that way. And I wanted to ask you, in the past 20-ish years, what has been your favorite uh out of conference series that Ohio State has had with opponents? Because there's been some good ones. There's been some really good ones. There've been some really good ones. The the two that stick out most in my mind, and and this has to do more with probably when I was on campus as an undergraduate, and then you know kind of living in um, the Columbus Metro after after college. Uh, yeah. But the the USC and the Texas home and home series, um, and 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 the two different to, two totally different feelings from those series, right? So you you walk out of that USC series, and I just have this deep um, abiding passionate hatred for slippery Pete Carroll. Uh, and, and I, and I have, I have made no bones about that over the years. <laughs> I just, gosh, that guy got my goat when USC was in their heyday, but I respect and love USC as the program for all their, the pageantry and traditions and, and, you know, so on and so forth. So I, I really enjoyed that series. I loved when Ohio state scheduled that series like that, those were the kind of matchups that you want to see Ohio state playing at that period of time. I mean, USC, you schedule them today. It's still a cool matchup because it's USC, but sure. it didn't have the same cachet as it did at that point when, you know, Carol's at the height of his power and USC was USC was Alabama at that, at that point. Right. I mean, that was, that was the team to beat, you know, to be the man, you got to beat the man. And USC right. was the man, uh, you know, the Texas, uh, the Texas one was wild because you swapped that one as an away game. Right. So, come to Columbus and get your hat handed to you and you, you go to Austin and repay the favor. Like that was, those were just really neat series with, with marquee teams kind of in their, in their prime. It felt like that. And the timing was right. That's the challenge with some of these series is they look great on paper. And then 12 years later, when you actually play the games. So some of it just comes down to timing. Is your team still good? Is that team still good? 
do you know, what's the national landscape look like? That's the right. thing I, I hate, hate, hate about how far in advance they schedule college football games. Cause it doesn't let you kind of capture the momentum of what's really happening in the sport. I, I, I don't I know that anybody's right ever given me a good reason why we have to schedule them 15 years in advance. I, I, well, I think Washington is a really good example of that because I, you know, Washington has never been a consistently great team. They've definitely had some years where they were, you know, top five, top 10 team and did some really cool things and, and kind of was a flash in the pan for a little bit, but that's the problem. Ohio State will look at a team like that and go, all right, well, in 15 years, let's let's play this sucker. And then it ends up kind of being a snooze fest a little bit. You get the great vistas and you have Ohio State going to a location where they normally wouldn't. But on the other hand, the actual product of the game isn't as hot. And that's why I think we remember the matchups that are more fun in addition to being a marquee opponent. And I would say Texas is, to me, the, the series that brought the heat on both ends of that. And uh, <laughs> I was at the Texas game. That's still the craziest environment, including the 1v2 game that I was at. Yeah, it was uh, crazy. Yeah, 1v2 game was crazy. But that Texas game, I think the crowd was louder, more intense. That, in, in part because it was a night game and, you know, you're playing Vince Young and all this other stuff. Uh, and I was literally 15 yards away from Ryan Hamby. Uh, he dropped the pass. Like It was just a super, super intense game. And then you go back the next year into Austin, and for all intents and purposes, they just beat the crap out of them. And I got, I got banned from a rivals board. <laughs> and the weeks before that game, because I insisted, I was, I just, I was, a talking a lot of shit, but b also making the repeated point that we had this guy named Anthony Gonzalez as a wide receiver who was just going to eat uh, the Texas defensive backs alive and they did not know who this dude was they did not understand what he was capable of doing from the slot position and i made like 15 threads about it <laughs> and i said a lot of derogatory things about the longhorns and a lot of horns, horns down. down bro horns down and they did not uh enjoy my contributions so Your troll game was strong it was and i will tell you this if they want to apologize and invite me back in the year of our lord 2020 i will happily and graciously return to the uh, the rivals texas board and you know come All in right. peace but you. you know i i'm glad ohio state uh, ended up with the win on that that was a fun game too to, to get the revenge one so, so we've got all Let's flip, let's flip the script on you. So we talked about the series that, that we've had in recent history you like. As you look at the schedule over the next 12 years, of the you've got Oregon, Notre Dame, Washington, Texas, Alabama, yeah. and Georgia all on the, the radar now. What's the series that, uh, that, that you're counting down the days to? Uh, Boston College. No, I'm kidding. Um, what happened to that one anyway? <laughs> like it just sort of disappeared. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what we're doing with that. That's... Jeff Halfley will be coaching against his former team. And by which by former team, I mean, Boston college, because he'll be the head coach of Ohio state by then. Uh, uh, I, okay. The, the sane answer is Alabama. The acceptable secondary answer is Georgia. My answer is Notre Dame because I hate Brian Kelly and he's probably still going to be the coach at that point in time. They're not that good. They never will be that good. And Ohio State, hopefully, under Ryan Day, will be able to beat the absolute hell out of them. 
so that's the one I'm looking forward to. That's that's the one I've got. Circle History is definitely on the Buckeyes side in that one. So that's, that's true. Uh, that's that's true. nice. A lot of success against Notre Dame. Uh, so we did the we did the what's your what's your prognostication on whether or not Nick Saban would be coaching the Crimson Tide in 2027. So let's uh, let's take it a, a step closer. Okay. Who's coaching the Longhorns in August of 2025? Is Texas Tom Herman still oh, still the head man for the Horns? I don't think so. I really don't. I, he he's had an amp, he's had ample time to get them over the hump. Um, they've had a lot of institutional problems. They had a lot of issues when it came to personnel and the coach, you know, he wasn't, it's not like Ryan day where he was stepping into a situation where, all right, the cupboards pretty stacked. You've got a lot of personnel, a lot of, uh, administrative support. Your coaching staff's great. That's not really the situation Tom Herman was stepping into, but at this point in time, if you can't make Texas a like annual contender, and I'm not talking about a top three team, but if you can't make them a top 10 team year in, year out and not lose stupid games, then I don't, I don't know if you're ever going to really do it. So I, I don't, I think he's out. I, you'll see maybe one or two more years where they're okay and they're fine, uh, but can't beat Oklahoma. And then they'll go on a decline and he'll be out. And that's, you know, I don't, I don't know. There are a lot. Of, it's interesting because it really is so dependent on who the head coach is. And there's a lot of these blue bloods and we talk about USC all the time, but you know, you look at schools with institutional advantages over their uh, conference mates. And if, <laughs> if Texas isn't the premier example of that, I don't know what is. Uh, and if you can't be, I'm not saying immediately successful, but at least pretty damn successful within the first three years. And I don't know if you got the juice to do it. So I don't think he will be. I think he'll be out. And who knows who will be in charge at that point. Mm-hmm. Maybe Luke Fickle. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's maybe that's a clip that I'm going to play back in several dun, years. Dun, so write this down. Yeah, that's right. So it's it's a lot of fun. There's, there's a lot of really good games coming up. I also would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, the great schools from Bowling Green, Buffalo, <laughs> Tulsa, Akron, Arkansas State fighting former Gene Chizik's uh, Toledo, you know, you've got, you've got all of these great, these great teams that'll saunter in ball state. I mean, come on, ball state, alma mater, big time, Denver. big time. So, <laughs> so those are always there. Those are always fun. They're actually rarely fun, but occasionally they are and they're interesting. So hopefully that'll also add to the spicy stew that we make. Uh, so we've got these games, we've got, all of this stuff coming up. Alabama's now on the schedule. Georgia's way the hell in the future. That should be fun. Maybe. I mean, who knows? I want to <laughs> let's make the most depressing transition in the world. Speaking Arkansas, of future non-conference opponents. <laughs> yeah. How about yes? Future non-conference opponents. Are we going to be playing these games, Andy, in the next three to, to four months like is this is this going to happen or how are you feeling about what you've been seeing news wise from some of these games ohio state seems fine they've apparently tim may has said he's got some inside info the people ohio state isn't releasing testing results but apparently everybody's doing pretty clean and they're they're really trying hard to adhere to the standards and wear masks and breaking up athletes into groups so they're not all one big you know blob of dudes uh, but on the other hand, some of our compatriots down in the SEC and the Big 12 and whatnot are not doing quite as well 
with this. So I, I'm not super optimistic, but I want to hear your take on this. Where are you at on the 2020 college football season? Yeah, I think it's, it. I think, I think it's still a crapshoot. There's a part of me that says the fact that schools like Ohio state have, have come out and said, we will be having in-person classes this fall. Like that, yeah. to me, that was the first big dominoes. Okay. Are, are students coming back to campus? Cause if students aren't coming back to campus at most D one universities, then it's not going to happen Sure. Um, with students coming back and you're seeing more of that. And I, and I think the economic reality is that they need students to come back. Uh, the, the universities, you know, we, uh, I saw a note from a, a colleague on Twitter today is on the faculty at Michigan state, the Michigan state um, asked faculty members to take a COVID related pay cut this week. Mm-hmm. So, you know, universities are not, while we think of universities like Ohio state as having a printing press in the basement of the horseshoe and they can just, make money happen whenever they feel like it. It's not, I guess, actually true. So, you know, to me, that that's the big first domino. Students coming back, check that off the list. All right. Now, second domino is, okay, can you keep these players healthy? Well, LSU, K-State, Clemson, there's uh, uh, had a good, good summary um, over the weekend of, of what you alluded to there that I think Texas had 13 players tested positive or presumed positive. Yeah. Clemson had like 30. Clem, <laughs> Clemson had, yeah, Clemson had two dozen. K-State had 14. At least 30 LSU players. That's mind-blowing. And, and, yeah. and the fact that it was like at least 30. <laughs> so so that's, I mean, that's those are big numbers. That's concerning. And how how diseases like just regular, like the cold or the flu or something like that, spread through locker rooms is a pretty well- known oh, phenomena yeah. right like yeah. you, you get somebody gets sick on the team everybody gets sick on the team so it's i mean it's not surprising that you would see 30 guys on the team come down with whatever it happens to be you would have thought people would have been maybe a little extra careful it's like we've been saying on the show for a while now if you really want to watch football this season wear a mask now I'm, you know we don't know what necessarily all of these schools are doing or how closely they're adhering to their version of the pledge that we talked about last week. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that that's an open question. Am I feeling optimistic, pessimistic? I, I guess the part of me that says these universities, schools, programs need football to happen tend to make me think it will happen. Um, what What I guess remains to be seen in my mind is what does it look like? Are we... Are we talking about, you know, week three or week four that QB number one at insert random uh, national title contending team here has come down with a virus and has to be quarantined for 14 days and or, or, you know, God forbid, has actually has concerning symptoms or something like that. You know, is there an asterisk by the end of the season? You know, college football playoff. These are the four teams in star. (laughs) They're the only four teams that did not have half their team test positive for COVID-19. And, and the other part of me says, you know, if you're LSU, hey, maybe you're happy that 30 guys have already gotten it because let's get this thing through the locker room in June. Right. So we're not dealing with it in August. You know, that, and maybe that's the, that's probably a really terrible way to look at it. But, you know, there's probably, if I'm sitting there on, well, on LSU staff, maybe, maybe I'm sitting here saying silver linings. Yeah, it may be a terrible way to look at it though, Andy, but I got to tell you something, that's the only plan that's in place. So there yeah. is no there is no alternative option. If you want to have football, you basically have to ignore the fact that large amounts of people are going to get COVID-19. That's basically it. And, and again, 
I personally don't think that's a Fossian bargain that I would want to make either as a player or as a fan or as a coach or anything like that. But honestly, God, dude, I think that is the mental agreement that players, coaches, fans, administrators, colleges, whatever, are going to have to make with themselves. And that's the plan. <laughs> and it sucks because, you know, the, the better plan would to be nip, nip this in the bud in March and April and not have to worry about this crap. But yeah. because a lot of these places, particularly in the South, did not take it as seriously as they should have, did not wear face masks when they should have, did not practice social distancing when they should have, you're going to deal with a situation that's going to be extremely in flux. And I got to tell you something. I personally am not super optimistic about the 2020 season, not just being altered. I, I think that's a given at this point. There's no way you play all the games that you were attending on playing, but even happening, period. And every time I talk to people in my family or my friends and they, you know, they know what I do and uh, they want my opinion on what it's going to look like. And I'm, I, I tell them two things. I'm like, first of all, I have no idea. <laughs> it's, no clue. I mean, th this is an incredibly fluid situation, changes week to week. Second thing, I'm not optimistic. And my biggest thing right now is, is that you have all of these plans. And you mentioned how schools want to get kids back on campus, which I think they'll make every effort to do that. Um, but that doesn't mean, just because that's the plan on you know June 22nd, 2020, doesn't mean that that's going to be the plan on June 25th, 2020. Yeah. So anybody telling you that they got a good beat on what this is going to look like in late August, early September is lying. Right. And that's the problem because you are seeing so many things happen in a way that people didn't expect or didn't want. To me, there, there was just a lot of wishful thinking in April, right? Where it's like, okay, we took care of it. Oh, we got it. We, we figured it out. We know what we're doing. And the real question about not just the college football season in 2020, but what college campuses are going to look like is how comfortable are we as a society and allowing large amounts of people to get COVID-19? Because that to me is the ultimate question that has to be asked um, if football is going to even happen at all in the fall. And yeah. I don't really like the answer, <laughs> what I get. but that's, but that to me is what the ultimate question is going to be in determining what the 2020 football season looks like. And, and it's, and it's, and it's or, a challenge, general, frankly. Yeah. It's a challenge because I, well, things I wonder about. So you, you'll see people uh, in the comments on any story, not just at, at our site, but uh, any story about the pandemic you know, the comments will be like, well, you know, the young people, we don't, we don't need to quarantine young people. They'll be, they'll be fine. You know, college football players, they'll, they'll be fine. They're in excellent physical health. You know, they're, they're not, they don't have all of these comorbidities that you see with, with uh, people most likely to, to die or to be seriously impacted by the virus and so on and so forth. So, but the, but the question is, if you're a player on one of these teams you know, it's kind of like the question we ask now annually about bowl games. What what players sit out of bowl games? What so what players, if any, will say, you know, I'm not comfortable with this because I don't think it's in my best interest. You know, do do people uh then the second part of that is okay, let's say the players are all super comfortable with it because they're young and healthy and maybe maybe it's not a big deal. 
But what about uh, some of your coaches? Ohio State has a couple coaches who are well into their 70s now who are pretty right. important. So what's the risk to a guy like Larry Johnson, who, you know, I think uh, personally is the best in the business at his particular job? Um, you know, how how comfortable are you as a as a program, as a staff, as a player who loves and respects this coach, putting that person at risk by going for, you know, these are all just really uncomfortable questions that we're yeah. grappling with as a society. There, there, there aren't any hard and fast answers that, Oh, if we do this, then this will happen. Cause there's just so much we don't know. Uh, but you know, there's, and, and at the same time, I also get, cause we have these conversations around our campfire all the time. Like what is our level of risk tolerance, you know? So if, uh, if school goes back to normal this fall, how do we feel about that? If school doesn't go back to normal this fall, how do we feel about it? You know, we have a young kid in the school system, uh, you know, going out to eat, you know, we used to go out every Sunday after church, we'd go out to, to dinner, uh, as a family. Well, when, when will we feel comfortable doing that again as part of our normal routine? When will we, you know, and, and we're all dealing with this individually as, as people, as families and so on. But when you get into the business of, football it's a much different thing because the ripple effects you know it's not just the 85 scholarship athletes and the 10 coaches but then all of the trainers and staffers who interact with them and um you know, the other uh, people that they come into contact with how big their bubble is outside of the woody hayes athletic center you know twenty thousand or thirty thousand fans in the stand you know so the you, the ripple effects can be pretty broad for not having any hard and fast answers. Well, I actually, I really appreciate that you brought up the idea of a college football player, you know, maybe deciding not to take the risk or decide to put themselves out there during this season. If you're Trevor Lawrence and you believe that you're going to be the number one pick, basically no matter what you do in college football in 2020, I don't really see a reason why you would want to really bother with college football if there wasn't a solid plan in place and there wasn't an assurance that you were going to be really playing for any kind of championship or accolades by the end of the season. Um, it's, it's such a weird thing, and it's different, and it's not something that people have plans for, but problem is is that as we kind of talked about i think as we intimated with the whole out of conference scheduling this is this is stuff that relies on a lot of planning years in advance and it's very difficult to do on the fly so if somebody says hey let's just drop a couple of the early season out of conference games move it to a 10 game schedule you know we'll work out the details as we go along it does not work out that simply it has to be a better plan than that. And part of the reason why we're in the situation that we're in is because we've not had a good plan up until this point. And not everybody's been on board with the plan that we do have. So, you know, I want to see college football happen. I really, 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 really want to see college football happen because I, especially for Ohio State's sake, I mean, holy hell, the, the players that they have on the team, the talent, everything is just super lined up for them this year. I'm really excited about this football team. It's so they'll be so much fun to watch, uh, but I don't know if they're going to have the opportunity to to show it to people, and that's that's really the crappy part about all of this. So I don't know, man. I, I hope this thing miraculously clears up in the next month, or maybe we see that you know maybe the virus is mutated in some way to make it much more uh, you know 
bearable for people, particularly people with, like you mentioned, comorbidities or people who uh, are at at risk groups. Um, but right now, as of you know June twenty second, I am not super confident about the college football season or football in general or basketball or the NBA. The NHL can go screw themselves because apparently Columbus is out of the running as a hub city. So yeah, no need to have it now. Yeah. Shut it down. Yeah, shut it down. Not worth it. Um, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I kid. I actually because in part because CBJ is still in a playoff spot, and now the guys that like basically their entire roster that got hurt are all going to be back. So I, I really want them to play because that would be kick ass. Uh, but I'm just you know. I'm being a pessimist right now and I, I want some reason for optimism, but I'm just not seeing it yet. So we'll see how it goes in the next few months. Uh, Annie reminded you earlier that the Dubcast is sponsored by the dry goods store at 11warriors.com. I'm going to remind you again, Dubcast, uh, all kinds of great swag that we are sponsored by on the site. So drygoods.11warriors.com. You can also send us questions that we'd love to answer so, so very much. Uh, to ask us anything, and that's uh, dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast. Are you ready, Andy? Lay it on me, Big Daddy. All right. This is actually this is convenient because uh, it kind of goes in line with our first topic of the night. What is your favorite? And by the way, this is from uh, Tim who writes in and basically wants to know, what is our favorite individual performance by an Ohio State Buckeye in one of these giant marquee out-of-conference uh, games? Oh, and he, he mentions, of course, Eddie George playing against Notre Dame, and that was nineties. I mean, that's legendary. Submitted his status as high state all timer. I mean, um, I mean, that's that's a perfect one for me because, I, and I may have told this told this story before. Um, my wife says I tell all the same stories, basically <laughs> on repeat. So I'll just throw this one out there again. But I, I remember the build up to that Notre Dame series was huge. Like this was, you know, Notre Dame. I don't know. They, they were they were feeling their oats at that time, and you know, of course, uh, Cooper always had had the Buckeyes in contention for for title. Never, you know, always the bridesmaid, never the ride. But but we're in contention, and and I just remember, like in our little rural Ohio town, um, I had a I had a buddy that he was he was the contrarian. So if if twenty <laughs> of us in the class were Buckeyes, he was taking whoever the other team was, and. Of course, and yeah that eventually coalesced into him being like the one Michigan fan in our school. But, but at that time, I hate was, how much I can relate to that. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. You, that, I know. I know that, you get this right. Well, you know, I know, I, I know, you know, but here's the thing that maybe our listeners don't know. It was the entire school of contrarians against me, basically the lone Buckeye fan because people in Southwest Ohio can be front running little POSs and they need to learn to get on board with the state team instead of wearing their freaking Michigan starter jackets every day to school. Anyway, sorry, please continue. My, my buddy straight up had the Michigan starter jacket. Yes, he did. So, but, it, but for this, I remember the buildup, he jumped on the Notre Dame bandwagon so hard and was just talking smack. Oh, Notre Dame is going to, they're going to. And then, so when Eddie George just reels off about 7,000 yards in that game, like, I'm doing cartwheels because I'm going to get to go to school Monday morning and rub my buddy's nose in it. That oh yeah, Notre Dame did in fact suck. Thank you very much. And I was right all along that Ohio State was going to pick him up like Foghorn Leghorn with the old hound dog and beat their ass with the two before. I mean, it was it was beautiful. 
I loved it. So yeah, that Tim, that's a, that's a great one. When you first started the question, you're talking about great all time performances. Like the first thing that popped into my head, cause this was not a marquee matchup at all. It certainly wasn't mm-hmm. out of conference was, was uh, Kenny Guyton against Purdue in the, oh. in the, in the big overtime <laughs> comeback. Like that's, that's one of my that's favorite individual performances of all time. Yeah, when he, when he led the comeback and then oh God, yeah. hit the two point conversion and then got the touchdown and over. Yeah, that's the greatest twenty minute sequence of college football that's ever been played. It, yeah, it, I, I mean, I'm not sure how anything could have you know could top that because it was so like you went from the depths of this thing is over. Yeah, stick a fork in it, you know, light the carcass on fire, uh, and and then like to the to the height of elation and, and you know when he when, when when they tie it up you're like oh there's no way you know there's no way you got to make the two-point conversion oh he made the two-point conversion like it was just yeah every emotion in sequence was so beautiful well, it's funnier because it's kenny g and love know, that guy when's he going to be coaching at ohio state johnny Lee? <laughs> that's the thing when ryan day goes to the nfl kenny g is gonna slide on take us the, to the promised land right, he's gonna be a coordinator in a couple years and then i'll just move jazz right um, it's funnier because it's Kenny G and it's, it's more poignant because Kenny G because here's the thing. All right. In the 2014 season, JT Barrett takes over for an injured Braxton Miller, but he has many games to prove himself and people to see his like inherent nascent talent, right? You, you see his performances go, okay, this JT Barrett guy can sling it a little bit. Yeah. Then when he gets hurt, Cardell Jones, who you don't know anything about, and is basically just known as a knucklehead up until that point, <laughs> is still huge. And you know the dude can throw it 70 yards on a frozen rope. That There's no denying that aspect of it. When Kenny Damn G it. comes in for Braxton Miller, Kenny G is this guy that you've never heard of. He's not sure. I mean, he's a, he's a relatively tall guy, but he's so skinny. He doesn't look like a guy who commands any kind of authority in the huddle. He's not particularly fast, really. Uh, he doesn't have great arm strength. And yet... <laughs> This dude had done everything that he needed to do to prepare for those moments. And actually, my answer to this question is something that Andrew Ellis covered in April for us in the Cal game, where Kenny G outperformed Jared Goff by a lot against Cal. And Ohio State annihilated them very much because... Kenny Guyton had what? I just looked this up: three hundred and sixty-eight yards of offense and four touchdowns. Like that is the kind of stuff that I live for in these out-of-conference games. The same with me getting banned from the Texas uh, Rivals board is that I love it when opposing fan bases don't know what they're in for. They don't understand what Ohio State has waiting for them in the wings. That's going to just ruin their day. I remember, and this is an out-of-conference game. But I was remember when I was an undergrad, and this is before Mike Nugent really became a household name among the Big Ten. And I had watched this guy in the early part of 2004 basically win three out of four games by himself because he was the offense of the early 2004 Ohio State football team. I, I don't know how many field goals he kicked, but it was a lot. And if he wasn't perfect in the beginning of the season, they would have lost probably two of their first four games. And... I remember later on in that season, he was lining up for like a 57-yard or 55-yard field goal. And some opposing fan was sitting next to me going like, what the hell are they doing? And I'm like, watch. 
what is about to happen to you. And he nailed it. He destroys it with 10 yards to spare. And I just like threw my hands up and laughed at the dude. Like, you didn't know what was going to happen. And that's exactly what Cal was in for. It's exactly what happened to Texas. And when Braxton Miller, and again, the rest of the season didn't play out like this, but in Braxton Miller against Virginia Tech hit that B button and the spin move. Oh, I just, beautiful. I, I, I threw my hands up there. I just lost it. I just started cracking up because those are the moments that you live for on a national stage against a really good team, or at least a marquee opponent, something crazy happens and it makes that's what college football is about. You don't get that in the NFL. So Kenny Guyton against Cal (laughs) outperforming a future first round quarterback draft pick. It will never not be funny to me ever. And, And, uh, our, our guy, you know, you you named it. He's going to be a coordinator soon. He's passing game coordinator. If, I, if I'm if I'm doing my my Google foo correctly, he is uh, passing game coordinator under Steve Adazio at uh, Colorado State. There you go. Currently, so you know, passing game coordinator. That's one step away from being the offensive coordinator. So my guy is making moves. That's right. Uh, and I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I, I'm I'm going to see he because he just. It's one of those guys that uh, you just love to root for. And it's a well-known phenomenon that the backup quarterback is the most popular man. I mean, that's, you know, that's a tale as old as time. Right. But that was a guy I really loved to root for because he just seemed like he was genuinely thrilled to be playing the game of football. Like he was having the time of his life. And I guess you get the luxury of having that kind of pressure on your shoulders when you're the backup quarterback. Because if he loses that Purdue game, People are like, oh, Braxton got hurt. It's not the story isn't like, oh, Guyton right. lost what, the game. No, the story is Braxton Miller got hurt. Right. You know, but instead, he's the hero, and we're talking about it 10 years later. That's right. And, you know, it just, oh, it's great. It's a great story. That's good stuff. Great. And, and I'll, we'll get you out of here on this. This is the last tidbit uh, for this particular dubcast. We used to have a number of events, you know, at the Woody and went. We did like the Gold Pants Social and whatnot. Uh, to help support the funding of the the gold pants. And we did one of them while Kenny G was still on the roster. And we're just kind of putzing around the Woody. And we noticed that on Kenny G's personal locker, he has taped the Photoshop that we'd made of him on Kenny G, the the, uh, jazz musician's face. He had put that on his own locker. (laughs) Yes. I love it. (laughs) So he's still... Kenny G remains uh, one of my top 10 Buckeyes of all time for many, many reasons, but especially because of that one. So, oh, 11 Warriors contribution to Buckeye pop culture cannot be understated. We already talked about 85 wow. yards through the heart of the style. You got the Kenny G Photoshop uh, naming and, and, and uh, did, were you the one that came up with the, the name uh, Carlos Hyde, yeah. right? That yeah, was your deal, right? I came up with that. Uh, Citro helped popularize it, but I, I definitely was the guy you came I, up with. I thought that was your deal. So, I mean, you know, there are some pretty important contributions to yeah. our collective pop, pop culture lexicon. So, 85 yards to the heart of the it's, it's all good, baby. And that's why you got it. That's why you got to watch the site, read, you know, read everything we put out there, listen to the, the dubcast. Listen to the dubcast, obviously. All right. So, that's the dubcast for this week. We will see you next week. Uh, but until then, I'm Johnny. I'm Andy. Deuces.